Before I read the text, let me ask you this question. How would you finish this sentence? Living wisely is like what? Living wisely is like, how would you fill in that blank? Well, this morning we're looking at the final portion of this first section of Proverbs, Proverbs 1 to 9. As we've studied through these chapters, we've overheard a wise father pleading with his young son to embrace wisdom, to make woman wisdom his pursuit and the love of his life. The Proverbs has already told us quite a lot about what wise living looks like. We're told in chapter 1 and again here in chapter 9 that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. To live wisely is to go through life with humility and awe and reverence and delight in the living God. Wisdom is caring what God thinks most. We've seen repeatedly that wisdom involves seeing sin clearly. Wisdom knows that sin is not the contraband cookies. Wisdom, Wisdom knows that sin is bitter poison. We've seen that wisdom looks like honest speech. Wisdom looks like humility. Wisdom looks like thinking before you act. Wisdom looks like working hard in light of the future. Wisdom looks like listening attentively. Wisdom looks like running away from sexual immorality. So I wonder, having seen what Proverbs says about wisdom so far, how would you finish That sentence, living wisely is like. Living wisely is like going to the doctor. Not that fun, but ultimately good for you. Living wisely is like taking out the trash. If you neglect it indefinitely, things will go badly. Living wisely is like a cold shower on a February morning. Unpleasant, but it comes with bragging rights. Living wisely is like filing your taxes. Do it or else. Living wisely is like the end of Christmas break. I'd rather not, but I suppose we'd better. Well, as I read our sermon text from Proverbs 9 this morning, notice the image that Proverbs gives us for the wise life. What is living wisely like, according to this final chapter In the prologue to Proverbs, let me read Proverbs 9 for us. It says this, wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord 
is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. May our gracious God bless the reading and now the preaching of his word. Three points this morning. Wisdom's feast, folly's feast, and how to RSVP. Wisdom's feast, folly's feast, and how to RSVP. First point, wisdom's feast, verses 1 to 6. The main point of these verses is crystal clear. Living wisely is like a sumptuous banquet in a gorgeous mansion with a generous hostess. What an image. Look with me at the details. Verses 1 to 3 are all about the thoroughness of woman wisdom's preparations for this feast. Woman wisdom has worked diligently to make this feast happen. Like Solomon's elaborate and painstaking work in building the Lord's house, which by the way had pillars out front, a woman wisdom has built her house with its seven pillars. Seven pillars would have been a big house in the ancient world. Some scholars think that the seven pillars are actually possibly an allusion to the seven sections in the book of Proverbs. So the first section of Proverbs is chapters 1 to 9, what we've been looking at. Chapters 10 to 31 of Proverbs are mainly made up of these two-line witty sayings. Scholars have noticed that chapters 10 to 31 break down into six subsections. So by saying that wisdom has a house with seven pillars, the author could be pointing to Proverbs as the house in which you come to feast on wisdom with its seven pillars, its seven sections. Not sure. Sounds plausible, though. We see in verses 1 to 3 that wisdom has labored to provide the very finest meat and wine and bread. Her table is a sight to behold. Everything is waiting for woman wisdom's guests. She sent out her maids to make the invitation very clear. The text says, from the highest places of the town. By the way, some scholars note that the the highest places of the town, that's where worship would have happened. The ancient Israelites would offer offerings to idols on the high places. Solomon's temple was on the Temple Mount, a high place, right? Wisdom is about where you choose to worship. Now look again at wisdom's invitation there in verses 4 to 6. She says, whoever is simple. Again, the simple are those who are not yet committed to the life of wisdom, those who aren't wise yet. 
They're not hardened against wisdom yet, but they, they certainly haven't gotten it. She says, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come eat of my bread. Drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live. Think of all we've seen in Proverbs so far about life. Life not just as having a pulse, but life as life lived in fellowship with God as he designed under his blessing, flourishing as his image bearer. Listen, it is true that the way of wisdom is the way of self-denial. Wisdom feels more difficult than folly, especially right at the beginning. But Proverbs 9 zooms out for us and it says, listen, in the grand scheme, living wisely is a banquet of pleasure and satisfaction and life. Wisdom is fine dining. The fear of the Lord, living before God's face, mindful of him, focused on what he says, it's a delightful comfort. Living in the knowledge of God's presence is rich wine. Integrity and honesty and diligence and careful listening are hard sometimes, but ultimately they're a prime stake. Steadfast kindness to your neighbor. In the end, it's delicious bread available even to the gluten-free. Christian, do you believe that the fear of the Lord is the true feast? Because if you don't, you won't choose it. You will choose wisdom when your heart believes that wisdom is the true feast, that it is the path to true and lasting, even eternal happiness. Not to instant gratification, not to your best life now, but to eternal happiness. The 17th century philosopher Blaise Pascal put it this way, He said, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. Christian, listen, you will be wise when your heart is persuaded that wisdom is the true feast, that fearing God is the path to true and eternal joy. That's our first point this morning, wisdom's feast. The trouble is that wisdom's feast is not the only one on the market. Wisdom is not the only contender for our joy. The second point this morning is folly's feast, verses 13 to 18. Look there at verse 13. It says, the woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. While woman wisdom has been busy building and preparing and arranging and sending out invitations, look what folly is doing. Look at verse 14. It says, she sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town. 
right? There's nothing of the labor. There's nothing of the substance of the toil of woman wisdom behind Folly's invitation, right? She's just sitting there. But notice also Folly's invitation is in some ways exactly the same as woman wisdom's. Verse 14, she too is calling from the highest places of the town, right? Ultimately, again, the choice between wisdom and folly is a choice about who you will worship, who you will look to to obtain your highest joy. Look at what folly says in verse 16. She says, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Where have we heard that before? Verse 4, woman wisdom, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Verse 16, woman folly, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Second half of verse 16, continuing into verse 17. And to him who lacks sense, same thing as woman wisdom, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. It's pleasant that word translated pleasant there, elsewhere in Proverbs 1 to 9, that word is used to describe wisdom. Wisdom's ways are ways of pleasantness, the father said in chapter 3. Folly says, no, 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 bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Right? Do you see, the point is that wisdom and folly are offering you the same thing. Right? We were designed to need food in order to live. And likewise, we were designed to feast on the joy that comes from wisdom, the joy that comes from life lived in the fear of God. God created us with a need to eat physically, and he created us with a need to live wisely, to live in light of his love and presence and holiness, to live in the fear of him. And the appeal of folly the appeal of sin is that it offers to meet that need with fake goods. Right? Stolen water is sweet. In other words, the things you get from breaking God's rules, those are the good things. Right? That's the food you need. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Right? Wisdom says living with humility and awe and reverence toward the Lord that's where it's at. That's where the joy is. That's where the feast is. Folly says, no, no, no. It's the things that you know that God doesn't approve of, right? The, the things you need to keep secret. When transgression speaks to you deep in your heart, as we heard from Psalm 36, that's actually what you need. That is the true feast. That is the path to joy. Nursing your vanity, seeking your own glory, venting your anger, gratifying your lust, doing what you feel like doing when you feel like doing it because you're the boss. That's actually where the glory is, where the joy is. Pursuing the love and approval of people as though they were God, as though they have ultimate power to bless or to curse you. That's what you need. That's the bread eaten in secret that's pleasant, says folly. Well, here's why sin, here's why folly is always, always, always such a terrible deal. Verse 17, when folly is crying out, stolen water is sweet, bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Verse 18, but he, the listener, does not know that the dead 
are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. We've seen this before in Proverbs 1 to 9. We see this throughout the Bible. The problem with sin is not that sin has no thrills. The problem with sin is that sin leads to death. In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Sin leads to shriveling, to addiction, to broken relationships. Sin leads to curving in on yourself. Sin leads to sadness. Sin leads to a loss of peace. Sin leads to a rupture in fellowship between the God who gives life and yourself. The Follies Feast is sweet for a minute, but as one Christian author has put it, it's a banquet in the grave. So, Christian, on one level, the struggle that we all have against the sin that remains in our hearts is very complicated. The Bible says that our hearts are deceitful and desperately sick. It says that our motives are often like deep waters and we we don't really see our own hearts very clearly. Our struggle with sin is complicated. But at the end of the day, here's what it boils down to. We see that folly is crying out to us. Stolen water is sweet. And we decide who we believe. The God who says to us throughout his word, sin leads to death. Or do we listen to the voice that from the beginning has been telling us, you will not surely die. Your struggle with sin boils down to who you believe. It is complicated. It's not simple. It's something we'll struggle with for the rest of our lives, but it boils down to who we believe about life and about death. We've seen woman wisdom's feast in verses 1 to 6. We've seen folly's feast in verses 13 to 18. Friend, where will you dine? Where will you dine? And how do you even choose, right? Suppose you're reading Proverbs 9 and you think, all right, I'm sold. I want to dine with woman wisdom. How do I do that? What do I do today and tomorrow and the next day in order to make the feast of my life the feast of wisdom? How do I RSVP? To that feast. The third point this morning, how we are SVP. Woman Wisdom's Feast is there in verses 1 to 6, clearly parallel to Woman Folly's Feast in verses 13 to 18. Right? These two paragraphs are like the, the two matching rows of pews in this building. What's in the middle? And why is it there? So the first and the third paragraph call us to choose between two different feasts. The middle paragraph, get this, it tells us about two responses to correction. Look at verses 7 to 9. Look at the verbs. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. 
Listen, here is quite possibly the most important point in the passage. Whether you dine with wisdom or folly is determined by how you respond to correction. Whether you dine with wisdom or folly is determined by how you respond to correction. The scoffer and the wicked, they hate reproof. They hate correction. They lash out against its source. The wise, they love reproof. They gladly receive it. They grow. They increase in learning because of it. How do you RSVP to Woman Wisdom's Feast or to Folly's Feast? You decide what to do with correction. With the rest of our time this morning, I want us to think uh, together about three different kinds of correction, uh, which if we handle them rightly, I think lead to three different kinds of wisdom, all good. So three different kinds of correction that I think this passage applies to. So the first kind of correction I want to talk about is just general correction. It's helpful to remember that on one level, Proverbs is a book aimed to teach us how to live skillfully. That's kind of the basic definition of wisdom. Proverbs is much more than this, but it's not anything less than a manual on how to do life well, right? So it seems proper to apply this passage about correction to just sort of the general correction we receive as we go throughout life. A general correction is, is anytime we get told that, hey, what we're doing is not right, it's not best, it's not wise, there's a better way that we should consider taking. The Bible is very clear that we should not assume, of obviously we cannot assume, that all the correction we receive is right. right? Sometimes people correct us and they're wrong. Even wise people sometimes give bad advice. And Proverbs would tell you specifically, if you know, if you know, that the person correcting you is a fool, you should be very cautious about receiving what they say. But still, don't, don't let that undermine this point. The picture we get from Proverbs is that a wise person's default is a posture of openness to correction. It's a posture of humbly listening because the correction very well might be right and needed. Again and again, Proverbs says that a humble willingness to listen to those who would rep reprove you is a huge part of being wise. A Proverbs 15.5 says, whoever heeds reproof is prudent. Proverbs 15.31, the ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Proverbs 15.32, he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. So listen, whatever you're doing, playing a sport, learning a skill, doing your job, giving a sermon, engaging in relationships, organizing your life, learning to drive, right? Proverbs teaches that the key to doing what you're doing more skillfully is a humble willingness to hear that you might not be doing everything exactly right. And that maybe you should change what you're doing. I remember as a kid how much I used to hate 
getting corrected about anything. I, I used to hate getting corrected on my math homework or on my swim technique or especially in my behavior. I didn't always show it. I didn't always sort of act out when I got corrected. But man, I remember just hating the feeling of someone telling me to do something different or telling me that what I had done was wrong. I remember that sometimes when someone was, when, was watching me when I was working a problem or swimming or whatever, I would try to do it perfectly, especially when I was being watched, specifically so that no one could tell me I was doing anything wrong, just in order to vo- avoid the feeling of being corrected. And as I look back on that, it's so clear to me that I wasn't actually interested in being excellent and wise. I was interested in protecting my pride, right? Proverbs urges you, listen, if if you want to be better at life, (laughs) adopt a humble willingness to be corrected. Not an uncritical acceptance of everything everyone tells you. Proverbs talks a lot about discretion. But if you want to be wise, you need, Proverbs says, a humble willingness to be corrected in response to general correction that we receive in in all areas of our lives. There's also, I think, a second uh, and more important kind of correction that this passage speaks to, and that is the correction of the gospel, the correction of the gospel. So part of the reason that most of us, I think, uh, hopefully get better at receiving correction as we grow older is that we start to realize that when someone corrects our behavior, they're not condemning us at the fundamental level. Right? My swim coach tells me that I've got bad technique. And, and on the inside, I think, oh, my swim coach is telling me, you are a worthless failure. Maybe it's the tone that he's speaking in, right? But as we get older, we get better at receiving correction because we start to realize like, oh, my coach is not telling me that I'm fundamentally not okay as a person. He's just telling me to, you know, not cross my arm over the center line of my body when I, like, it's okay. Like, I'm not being fundamentally condemned. I'm just, you know, my, my behavior is being corrected. And even if this guy is, you know, condemning me, like, his opinion is, like, not that important. He's a swim, you know. But, but here's the really bad news, we actually have bigger problems than bad swim technique and missed math problems and unproductive habits. Uh, in fact, the, the reason that we are so sensitive about these things is because we know that deep down, we have strayed and erred in a much more fundamental way. And when someone points out the flaws up here on the surface, we are sensitive because we know there are flaws deep down underneath and that the light might get shined on those. There in verse 10, immediately after outlining these two ways to respond to correction in verses 7 to 9, there in verse 10, the text says this. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Wisdom, we've said throughout this series, is skillfulness in living. However skillful you might be in isolated parts of your life, Proverbs joins with the rest of Scripture in saying that unless you know and fear 
and adore the God who made you. You haven't begun to live skillfully because that's what it's all about. And here's the big problem. We haven't done that. That is where we've messed up. That is where we need correction. We were created to go through life with our eyes fixed on the God who created us. We were created to go through life worshiping and trusting and loving and obeying and revering that God. And that was to bring stability and skillfulness and peace to all that we do, right? The anchor of our love for God and our knowledge of his love for us. That is the true feast, living in the fear of God. But we haven't done that. We have, every one of us, strayed after woman folly. We have preferred bread eaten in secret. We have preferred the life running away from God's face, seeking from created things the life that only He can give us. And just as this text says, the feast we have chosen has let loose all kinds of death and destruction and sadness in our lives. And it set us on course for eternal death after our bodies pass away. But listen, this is the good news at the heart of the Bible. In his love and his mercy, the God who created us, the God against whom we have rebelled, he has confronted us with the correction of the gospel, the correction of the message about his son, Jesus See, the correction of the gospel presupposes that the way that we're living apart from Jesus is wrong, right? The gospel presupposes that we've not feared the Lord, that we don't know the Holy One, that we're alienated from Him because of our sins, that we are addicted to bread eaten in secret, the feast of our sin against Him. But the correction of the gospel says, hey, let me tell you why you should turn around in His love and in His mercy, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to become a man 2,000 years ago. That man was named Jesus, and He lived the wise life of the fear of the Lord that you and I should have. He always did the things that were pleasing to His Father. He did go through life with His eyes fixed on heaven. And even though Jesus deserved nothing but life for His wisdom... For his obedience, Jesus died in the place of fools and sinners so that we might have forgiveness and life. Three days after Jesus died, God raised him from the dead so that Jesus might give eternal life to anyone who would trust in him. And get this, Jesus takes to himself the words of woman wisdom from Proverbs 9. Christian, can't you hear Jesus say, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I have mixed? Right, John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Right, if we don't have the gospel apart from Jesus Christ, then woman wisdom says to us, hey, if you're still simple, right, if you haven't blown it yet, then if you work really hard, then you can come and dine with me. 
But through the gospel, right, the Lord Jesus, the wisdom of God, he says to us, the bread that you need is my body broken for you. The wine that can give you life is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Come and eat. Come and have life. It's free. I've paid for everything. Leave your simple ways and live. Right? The gospel doesn't flatter us. It doesn't tell us that we're okay. It is correction. It tells us to turn around. But what a gracious correction is the gospel. Christian, be amazed again at the kindness of our God extended to us in Christ. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, please don't leave here without speaking to someone about how to receive the feast of God's mercy in Jesus Christ. Listen, the banquet that you will participate in for all of eternity is determined by how you will respond to the correction, the life-giving correction of the gospel. There's nothing more urgent, nothing more important than responding to the correction of the gospel. If you'd like to learn more, please talk to me after the service. Talk to anyone you've seen up here. Talk to any of our members. We'd be delighted to speak with you about God's gracious offer of life in the feast of the gospel. This passage speaks to us about how to receive general correction. It speaks to us about how to receive the correction of the gospel Third and finally, for those of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus, it speaks to us about how to receive correction in the Christian life. Third kind of correction, the correction of the Christian life. If you have RSVP'd to God's banquet, if you do know Jesus, this passage is a model for us as to how we ought to receive the correction of God's word, whether it comes to us directly from God's word or through God's people when it's rightly given. Look again at verses 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9. They say, do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. What if you've already been made wise by the correction of the gospel? What if you've already been made righteous by the gift of God's son, Jesus, through faith in him? Well, God's word would say to you, listen, there's even more of God's banquet for you to enjoy. There's more of wisdom's feast for you to partake of. Listen, I don't don't know if you've noticed, but Christians still struggle with sin and foolishness from time to time. And by from time to time, I mean literally every single day. And so in God's kindness, in his patience, he continues to correct us, to draw us back to the feast of wisdom, to take us away from the feast that leads to death, to turn us again and again and again back to the fear of the Lord. Remember what we read in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12? We read these words, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. How how does our text this morning urge us to respond to God's kind, fatherly, ongoing correction in our lives? 
Proverbs 9 says, give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Right? Doesn't, doesn't that just make sense given what we've, all, we've seen about the gospel? Right? The, the ultimate act of wisdom is to acknowledge, hey, I am a fool who needs mercy from Jesus. And so the person who grows wiser and wiser is not the person who pretends that he never needs correction. It's the person who continues to acknowledge, hey, I still struggle with so much foolishness and I need God's correcting words to give me life, to bring me back. This goes for how we respond to correction that comes directly from God's word as, as we study it or as it's taught. It also bears on how we respond to one another when we gently and lovingly and humbly correct each other. When we recite our church covenant together at members' meetings, this is one of, the, one of the things we say. We say, we will walk together in brotherly love, as becomes the member of members of a Christian church, exercising an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other, and faithfully admonishing and entreating one another as occasion may require. Brothers and sisters, is that something you're willing to do? for the other members of the church, when you see that they need to be admonished? Do you have the prior investment of love and relationship that make that possible? And do you have a love for their spiritual good more than for their opinion of you that would move you to admonish them gently and humbly? It's a struggle for me. Listen, Christian, when you are tempted to respond defensively to correction, Remember what the gospel says about you. It says two things. First, the gospel says, you are a massive fool, right? The gospel says, you and I are so foolish. We were so addicted to Folly's banquet that Jesus had to die in order for us to be forgiven. So when I'm being corrected, when someone's saying, hey, you're doing something wrong, they could be right, they could be wrong, but I am definitely the kind of person who would do something wrong, right? It's very plausible that I need to be corrected because the gospel says that I'm that kind of person. But what's the second thing that the gospel says about you, Christian? The gospel says that you are forgiven and that you are being made wise by a God who has not abandoned you and will not abandon you. You're forgiven. You're being changed, the gospel says. Right? The gospel gives you hope that even though someone might have seen something foolish about you, God hasn't condemned you. Right? God has seen more foolishness in you than that other person has seen. But he has embraced you. He loves you. He's been patient with you to this point. And so you can admit when your foolishness is pointed out because there's mercy in Jesus. Right? You can change when your foolishness is pointed out. Because God is committed to making you like his son. Paul David Tripp, a Christian author, uh, puts it this way. I, this is so helpful. He says, do not fight the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit. You are not being condemned. You are being rescued. Isn't that good news? The Lord Jesus says it like this in Revelation chapter 3. He says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Those whom I love, I reprove and dis discipline. Christian, when you are bristling against correction, 
remember the great love of Jesus for you. And that he corrects precisely because of his steadfast love toward you. Brothers and sisters, we can trust that the Jesus who gave his body and blood to save us from our sins so that we might feast on the banquet of life, the Jesus who did that for us, we can trust that his correction is good, that it comes to us in kindness. As he continues to teach us, may we continue to grow in conformity to his wise image. Uh, Please pray with me to that end. Father, we thank you for the body of the Lord Jesus Christ broken for us that we might have life, for his blood shed for us, for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you that now he says to us to come and eat of his bread and to drink of the wine of his blood. Lord, would we daily come to him for mercy? Lord, would the saints at Franconia Baptist Church be more and more people who acknowledge our foolishness when we are corrected, who come to Jesus in faith for mercy, for forgiveness, for help to change. Lord, would you make us like the wise man in this passage who grows wiser and wiser as your word corrects us? Lord, would you deliver us from the feast that leads to death? Show us what it truly is convince our hearts that the fear of the Lord is the true feast. God, I pray for any here who don't know you. Would you save them? Would you give them grace to respond by faith to the correction of your good gospel that they might have life? Do these things in us for our joy and for your glory through Jesus Christ. Amen.